I've spent the last couple of months talking about the two foundational elements of parenting, love and authority. I've also talked about how rewards and punishments don't actually work at meeting our long-term parenting goals to raise kind, honest, helpful people. Children need love and discipline to reach their full potential. But what happens when parents exert too much control and not enough love? Or the opposite, too much love and not enough control? How can we balance our authority with our children's agency? Today, we'll discuss the perfect balance, authoritative parenting. You're listening to Simple Wonders, the podcast for parents who want to raise happy, curious, lifelong learners. Hi, I'm your host, Jessica Smith, certified family life educator and mama of three. Join me as we explore simple tools to nurture your child's heart and mind. discussed in episode 7, children are born persons. This is Charlotte Mason's first principle. I'll just quickly remind you of a few truths before we dig into authoritative parenting. First, as people, children are born with agency. For whatever reason, we tend to forget this vital truth and our parenting tactics sometimes mirror those of Satan's more than Christ's. We also tend to view all children as the same and assume there must be one magical parenting technique that will work for every child. Because children are so different, parenting is more of an art than a science, and it should be based on principles, not formulas. Parenting requires skills as well as a variety of tools in our parenting tool belt. It requires we know our children well so that we can utilize the right tools in the right situation for that child. In episode 7, I also discussed Charlotte Mason's second principle that children are not born either good or evil, but with possibilities for both. Parents who view their children as born evil or carnal tend to be more authoritarian. They feel that children are inherently lazy, selfish, with little or no desire to do well and choose the right. And the purpose of authority is to push children into doing well by either rewarding or punishing behaviors that they, the parents, deem important. They believe if they don't do this, then children won't progress and learn. These parents are characterized as having high expectations and low warmth. On the other end of the spectrum is permissive parents. As a whole, these parents believe that children are born inherently good. Children want to do well and succeed. They may have little faults or behavioral issues, but being inherently good, they will eventually mature and grow out of them without much help from us. All children need from us is love. These parents are characterized as having low expectations and high warmth. So let's take a dive deep into each of these parenting styles. We'll start with authoritarian parenting. So over the years, studies have shown that children of over-controlling parents, otherwise known as authoritarian, are much more likely to become anxious, stressed, and lose their sense of self by becoming blindly obedient. Or they go the opposite direction and become outright rebellious and aggressive. In the past, 
this type of parenting was harsh and physical, usually in the form of threatening, spanking, hitting, and punishing. Nowadays, controlling parenting is slightly more socially acceptable and subtle. The parents' goals are the same, um, but they're usually achieved through nagging, helicopter parenting, emotionally manipulating, um, love withdrawal, or rewarding them for everything that they do. But the effects of these tactics can be just as psychologically damaging as physical punishment. So what are these parents' goals? Obedience and conformity. They want the child's behavior to conform to their expectations or even preferences. When speaking of authoritarian parents, Alfie Cohn said, they not only expect absolute obedience and use punishment freely to obtain it, but also believe it's more important for children to comply with authority than to think for themselves or express their opinions. They insist that kids need to be carefully monitored, and when a rule is broken, which just confirms their dark suspicions about what children are really like, authoritarian parents tend to assume the child deliberately chose to break it, irrespective of his or her age. When the negative effects of corporal punishment became known, parents were desperate for another way to control their children's behavior. Something that would cause enough discomfort and pain to change behavior, but a little more socially acceptable. And the behaviors came to the rescue with timeouts. Also rewards, but we're going to focus on timeouts right now. If we can't use physical pain, then we'll use relational and social pain to force kids to obey. But it turns out that timeouts are just a nicer word for love withdrawal. Many years ago, a psychologist named Martin Hoffman challenged the distinction between power-based and love-based discipline by pointing out that love withdrawal, a common example of the latter, actually has a lot in common with the more severe forms of punishment. Both communicate to the child that if they do something we don't like, we'll make them suffer in order to change their behavior. In 1967, Martin Hoffman conducted a study of 7th graders and found that the use of love withdrawal was associated with a lower form of morality. In deciding how to act with other people, these children didn't take specific circumstances into account, nor did they consider the needs of a given individual. Instead, having learned to do exactly what they're told in order to avoid losing their parents' love, they tended just to apply rules in a rigid one-size-fits-all fashion. So why are power-based methods of discipline so ineffective and borderline damaging? It all comes down to the eternal principle of agency. Behaviorists try to apply principles of animal, animal behavior to humans, but this doesn't work because humans are active agents with a conscience and a will. It is an eternal principle that Heavenly Father understood when he turned down Satan's plan to force everyone to do what he wanted. Power-based discipline fails to create people with a strong will and a good character. William Stuckstred, author of The Self-Driven Child, warns that without a healthy sense of control, kids feel powerless and overwhelmed and will often become passive or resigned. When they are denied the ability to make meaningful choices, they are at high risk of becoming anxious, struggling to manage anger, becoming self-destructive, or self-medicating. 
And author Nancy Samalin comments that even when we win, we lose. When we make children obey by force, threats, or punishment, we make them feel helpless. They can't stand feeling helpless, so they provoke another confrontation to prove they still have some power. One thing I have noticed in my 10 years of parenting is that the more I try to control my children through manipulative methods, the worse it off, worse it is off in our relationship and the less that they follow my instructions and want to obey. Charlotte Mason said this over 100 years ago, and her words ring just as true for mothers today as they did then. We ought to do so much for our children and are able to do so much for them that we begin to think everything rests with us and that we should never intermit for a moment our conscious action on the young minds and hearts about us. Our endeavors become fussy and restless. We are too much with our children, late and soon. We try to dominate them too much, even when we fail to govern, and we are unable to perceive that wise and purposeful letting alone is the best part of education. Authority and setting boundaries is, a fa- is foundational to the family and society, but too much control strips people of their most basic right, their agency and ability to develop character, and can even turn on their counter will, which is going to do the opposite of what we're trying to help them with. When it comes to parental control, you can certainly have too much of a good thing. Okay, you may be thinking, but this can't be true for love. You can never have enough love, right? And yes, you really can't give too much unconditional love, but children cannot survive on love alone. They need boundaries. Parents who are warm and responsive but don't have set limits on their children's behavior, are called permissive or indulgent parents. So what is their goal? A good relationship and happy children. They avoid friction and confrontation because they don't want to rock the boat or cause any discomfort to their child. Maybe the reason is love or fear or just apathy. Whatever the reason, permissive parents have low expectations for their children's behavior and don't enforce boundaries. Instead of expecting mature behavior and giving children responsibilities, these parents just allow their children to regulate their own behavior. The psychoanalyst Alice Miller once observed that it's possible to love a child passionately, but not in the way that he needs to be loved. Alfie Coe noted that that if Alice is right, the relevant question isn't just whether or even how much we love our kids. It also matters how we love them. Indulgent parents definitely love their children, but need to love them enough to set limits so they can become their best selves. So what's the effects of permissive parenting? In one study on parenting styles, scientists evaluated children for deficits in self-regulation, and self-regulation is the ability that permits children to control their impulses, stay focused, manage their moods, and execute plans. So which variables were most highly correlated with a lack of self-regulation? By far the most powerful predictor was permissive parenting. The parents agreed with statements like this. I ignore my child's bad behavior and I give in to my child when he or she causes a commotion about something. Children of permissive parents spend on average more time watching TV and have higher body mass indices. 
They also, they're also more likely to suffer from sleep problems, which is probably from a lack of bedtime routine and unlimited screen time before bed. And the trend across studies is that kids with permissive parents tend to have higher levels of externalizing behaviors, such as aggression and disruptive behavior, relative to kids with authoritative parents. And on a spiritual note, Neil A. Maxwell warned in regards to society as a whole, I have no hesitancy, brothers and sisters, in stating that unless checked, permissiveness by the end of its journey will cause humanity to stare in mute disbelief at its awful consequences. Hey, just a quick break to remind you that if you have not rated or reviewed the podcast, please do so. I not only appreciate the support, but it also helps Apple Podcasts algorithm in recommending this podcast to parents who might need it. So take three seconds to rate the podcast or even better, please leave a review. Thank you. So I've just just described the two polar opposites on the parenting spectrum. And today it kind of feels like parents are either in one of those camps, but parenting doesn't have to be one or the other, loving and respectful or harsh and demanding, although it sometimes seems that way. I love the way Dr. Ross Green describes this conundrum in his book, Raising Human Beings. He said, As it relates to how to raise kids, a lot of parents are a little confused about how to proceed these days. They're mired in that muddy territory that lies between permissiveness and authoritarianism. They want their kids to be independent, but not if he's going to make bad choices. They want to avoid being harsh and rigid, but not if the result is a non-compliant, disrespectful kid. They want to avoid being too pushy and overbearing, but not if an unmotivated, apathetic kid is what they have to show for it. They want to have a good relationship with their kid, but not if that means being a pushover. They don't want to scream, but they don't, but they do want to be heard. It's all about balance, but the balance sometimes seems so precarious it's difficult to achieve. And that balance is called authoritative parenting. And sometimes it's really hard to remember the difference between authoritative and authoritarian. I like to think of it as the word authoritative is the combination of permissive and authoritarian. (laughs) So it's the balance, the middle in between. These are the parents who respect children as persons with unique personalities and agency. They show unconditional love and don't use their child's attachment to them as a tool to manipulate their behavior. They have high expectations and work with their child to solve problems, but know when to exercise their authority to ensure that their children are safe, others are safe, and they stay within limits. So what is authoritative parents' goal? Their priority is for their children to develop responsibility, kindness, empathy, and self-discipline or self-regulation. Most importantly, they want them to desire to do what they know is right and to treat others with respect and kindness. Although my parents were not perfect, they were well-read and passionate about raising children who would grow up to be good people. Growing up, I remember comments from well-meaning individuals that my parents were too lax with me and my siblings. They didn't have enough rules or boundaries. We didn't have a curfew. Uh, My parents just wanted to know where we were and who we were with. And if we were going to be later than usual, they wanted us to call and tell them what we were doing. We weren't required to clean our rooms, 
we were require, required to keep living area where everyone um, was at, keep those areas clean and clean up after ourselves. Um, we, we were allowed to pick the way that we dressed and groomed ourselves and they let us go on group dates before 16 <gasps> and don't even mention the fact that we were homeschooled and never finished a full year of school. Yes, we didn't always finish. Didn't I don't remember a year we finished a whole curriculum 100%. The interesting thing is that none of us were involved in any of the rebellious or risky activities teenagers and college students are known for. So far, we've all graduated from a university, have good jobs, and keep a clean house. And how is this possible if my parents didn't keep a tight control on everything we did? Well, let's look at the research. In one classic study, scientists began by distinguishing between the sort of parent who is sensitive, accepting, and cooperative, and the sort who assumes that, quote, she has the perfect right to do with her child what she wishes, imposing her will on his, shaping him to her standards, and interrupting him arbitrarily without regard for his needs, wishes, or activity in progress. Lo and behold, it was the mothers in the first category, those who were less controlling, whose very young children were likely to do what they were told. So it seems that most children will obey their parents if they feel it is, one, a reasonable request, and number two, it is their choice. In a second study, the two-year-olds who were most likely to comply with a specific request turned out to be those whose parents were very clear about what they wanted, but in addition to listening to their children's objections, they also accommodated them in ways that conveyed respect for the child's autonomy and individuality. A third study raised the stakes a bit by focusing on preschoolers who had been identified as unusually defiant. Some of their mothers were asked to play with them, as they usually did, while others were trained to, quote, engage in any activity that the child might choose and to allow the child to control the nature and rules of the interaction. They were asked to refrain from commanding, criticizing, or praising. After the play sessions, the mothers, at the request of the experimenters, issued a series of commands to their children having to do with putting away each of the toys. The result, children who had been subject to less control, that is, those who had been given more say about how to play, were more likely to follow their mother's instructions. And what's interesting is the children that they chose to be in this experiment were identified as unusually defiant. So they already had a little bit of defiance going into this. And just that time where they were allowed to choose what they did and their mothers sat back and let them do that was enough to help them become more, I wouldn't say compliant, but more reasonable and were more willing to do what their mother asked them to do. My hope in sharing this information is is that it's not interpreted as an argument, just sitting back and letting children raise themselves. It is our divine responsibility to be in control in the sense of creating a healthy and safe environment, um, teaching them what is right, and then setting limits. But it is not our job to be controlling in the sense of demanding absolute obedience or relying on coercion or continuous regulation. In fact, although it may sound paradoxical, 
we need to be in control of helping them to gain control over their own lives. The goal is empowerment rather than conformity, and the methods are respect rather than coercive. Although I love devouring research studies and books on parenting, and I've shared a few of those in this episode, they give some helpful insights into parenting. But I think the best place to look for the ideal parenting style is Jesus Christ and our own heavenly parents. I've definitely noticed a pattern in how our heavenly father parents his children by reading the scriptures and comparing that to what social scientists have discovered about the ideal parenting style or authoritative parenting style. So first thing I've noticed is that authoritative parents view their children as born persons. Instead of treating the symptoms or the behavior, they look to the cause. Why is my child acting this way? What feelings are behind the thoughts and actions? What skills are they lacking? Number two, authoritative parents show unconditional love. They show empathy and love no matter how their child is feeling. The parents don't reject or accept the child depending on what feelings they show or achievements they make. Authoritative parents have reasonable and developmentally appropriate expectations. Sometimes our personal preferences and pride get mixed up with our expectations for children. We need to ask ourselves and be honest. Is this expectation reasonable? Is my child capable of meeting this expectation? Which skills are they lacking that prevent them from meeting this expectation? Authoritative parents focus on helping children gain skills so that they can meet our expectations instead of punishing them for when they don't. Number four, authoritative parents set limits and exercise righteous authority. Setting and enforcing limits is not the same as punishment. There really should be only a few limits in the home. The more rules there are, the harder it is to remember and enforce them, and nothing erodes authority more than empty promises. When a child is incapable of meeting an expectation, either they're too young, emotionally upset, or maybe there's something neurological going on, then the parent exercises authority by removing the child from the situation. And I'm going to talk a lot more about this in the future episode on discipline. Number five, authoritative parents respect agency. This goes with number one with seeing them as born persons. They want their children to act and not be acted upon. Any choice their child can safely make on their own, parents leave up to the child. They ask themselves, again, is this expectation a commandment or just a personal preference? They warn children of natural consequences of their choices and do not deprive them of the gift of learning from those consequences. Over the past 70 years, extrinsic motivation has dominated parenting advice, so it is very hard to comprehend teaching children without them. So how do authoritative parents educate their children without rewards and punishments? What tools are available to us? The best, most effective answer I have found to this question is from Charlotte Mason. She said that education is an atmosphere, a discipline, and a life. By atmosphere, she doesn't mean creating an artificial environment for children, but that we use the opportunities in the environment he already lives in to educate him. 
children learn from real things in the real world, from the unseen ideas and feelings that surround him. By education as a discipline, she means that we train a child to get, have good habits, and today it's more formally known as skills and self-control, and setting boundaries in the home as well. When she says that education is a life, she means that education should apply to the body, soul, and spirit. The mind is like the body and it feeds on ideas. And we all know or have all seen our children read a book and just be, just come alive from that. The ideas contained in that, um, which she would call living ideas, that motivate them, give them a desire to change. The scriptures and classic literature are full of these um, living ideas that inspire character growth and, and thought. So those are the three tools that Charlotte has said is available to us. And through my research in parenting books, as well as research studies, I have found this to be absolutely true. So we're going to go over those three instruments or tools of education over the next couple months, going into detail how we as parents can use them to, to educate our children to develop their character without the use of extrinsic motivators. Before I end today, I just want to share a personal note. My own parenting style started out much more authoritarian and controlling. Many days I felt like a pendulum swinging from permissive to authoritarian as I set unrealistic expectations for my kids and then exhausted myself trying to enforce them and eventually throwing in the towel and letting them do whatever they wanted because I was too tired or discouraged to follow up with my threats or promises. Over the years, I've discovered the wisdom in authoritative parenting, this delicate balance between unconditional love and authority. And I've been able to see how my over-control has affected my relationships with my children, as well as their personalities, like bringing out counter will and opposition in one of them. However, I'm still gaining these parenting skills and learning how to apply what I know to be true. I share everything on this podcast, not as an expert who has mastered these skills, but as a fellow mother in the trenches who has discovered eternal truth and seen it work wonders in her own family. And I just don't want to keep it to myself. I want to share what has worked and what has blessed my own family. One belief that's helped me keep going each day is that my children don't need a perfect parent. They need a good one. They need a human parent who shows them what to do when you make mistakes, how to repent, ask forgiveness, and try to be more like Christ each day. The weight of what is expected of us as parents can be can feel crushing, but we're not doing this alone. Mason reminds us that when we recognize that God does not make over the bringing up of children absolutely even to their parents, but that he works himself in ways which it must be our care not to hinder, in the training of every child. Then we shall learn passiveness, humble and wise. We shall give children space to develop on the lines of their own characters in all right ways, and shall know how to intervene effectively to prevent those errors which also are proper to their individual characters. Part of exercising parental authority is realizing that we are under the authority of God, and He will not abandon us. We can trust that he is working in ways we cannot see 
and we are not alone. You can find this episode's show notes, as well as more information about this topic on our website, www.simplewonders.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and or rating the podcast, or even better, share it with friends or family. If you'd like to further support our work here, you can donate by clicking the link in our profile. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to discuss our next topic. Until then, go out and work some wonders.